our plan is to create a one-stop shop for people. Um, so we're really passionate about real estate. We love real estate. We love what we do every day. But we want people who are investors who want to learn, who want to grow, who want to you know become part of you know a legacy for their future families to be able to come to one place that gives them all the resources that they need. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors, we have Alex Powell on our show today. Alex and his wife, Kaylee, are the owners of Powell Property Solutions, which is a full-service real estate company located in Hamilton, Ontario, where they specialize in joint venture partnerships with full burrs, usually involving pretty intense renovations. They hold a portfolio of approximately 85 doors, and they have an in-house property management arm to their business so that they can provide a full solution for all of their investors. Yeah, we got to chat with Alex about some of the interesting experiences he's had with turning around some really rough buildings and how he manages all of the moving parts with his business and how he's able to structure deals to create win-win for himself and his investors that are involved. And um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting conversation. Here's Alex Powell. Hey, we've got uh, Alex Powell on the show today. Uh, Alex, uh, thanks uh, so much for being on our show. Uh, Thank you guys for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to join you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I've known Alex for for quite a bit now. Um, we first met at Rain, I believe, uh, which is the Real Estate Investment Network. And um, why don't we get into how your journey in the real estate world started? You come from a corporate background, how that all evolved? Yeah, so um, when I was 16 years old, a husband of my cousin, a second cousin actually, he introduced me to the Robert Kiyosaki kind of uh, line of books. So he gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad to read. And um, at the time, he had bought himself a triplex. So uh, I would go to his auto body shop where he, he was a mechanic he let me fix my car and in return, I'd go and help him do painting and stuff like that. And during that time, he would tell me about, you know, real estate and it was exciting for him and what his plans were. And I would see it firsthand, like what the sweat equity could do. And uh, so at a young age, I was already very much geared towards like this whole idea of passive income and investing in properties and being able to change, you know, the trajectory of your own financial future, as well as, you know, from a minutia standpoint, the properties in itself. Because I'm, I love doing projects. I like to get my hands dirty as well. So, as soon as I was done university, I like saved up every penny I could. Um, I did. I was very frugally, and uh, 
and I, I bought my first property on the Hamilton Mountain here for $186,000. And I rented out all the bedrooms and then I decided to do a flip and then I decided to do another flip with some partners and then I bought another duplex in Kitchener and then eventually it started to really gain traction. And so my, uh, my idea was I was working at Acon at the time as a, a project coordinator uh, and working on a lot of big industrial projects uh, in and around Ontario. So my, I was passionate, however, with real estate and, and getting into the renovation and the passive income generation field, I guess. And so um, my idea to get to the front face of real estate and how do I leave this one industry and actually you know, supplement that salary and income uh, I, my idea was to get into get my real estate license. So I did that. Eventually, I joined Mark Loeffler's team as his listing agent. And uh, that's where I kind of became more familiar with the market, with sales, with, you know, prospecting, with, you know, marketing myself. And eventually, I went off on my own. I met my lovely wife, Kaylee, and uh, we, uh, we started our, our own business. And, and Pal Property Solutions from there has just taken off. And now we're sitting at, I think, about 85 units. And... Uh, and it's uh, it's going great, yeah. Right now, the problem is finding deals. I'm sure you guys know that too. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, um, you know, welcome to Ontario, right? Where uh, uh, finding deals is the biggest issue. So, yeah. So maybe just uh, walk us through sort of what uh, a day in a life looks like right now. What what kind of stuff are you working on? Yeah. So I think we have about six projects on the go right now. Um, so we act as our own GCs as well, and mainly as a benefit to our partners, as well as us to save on construction costs. We have a lot of the, well, we have the knowledge internally with our, our team. So we have, you know, guys like trade staff that are there that can do most of the stuff. And we put, plus we have all the subcontractor, um, uh, you know, references that we can always lean on, like the plumbers and electricians and stuff. So uh, managing these projects is pretty straightforward. Of course, there's, there's hurdles you go through all the time. But my day typically looks that in the morning, I might, on the way into work, depending on which direction I'm coming from or going or where the properties are, I'll swing by uh, one or two of the sites just to see kind of how things are heading in. I'll come inside. We'll typically do like quick powwow here at the office and deal with whatever issues are ongoing. And of course there's always stuff to be done, whether it's paperwork or, or, uh, you know, dealing with new prospects or making sure joint venture agreements are done and things like that. So, and then of course, you know, going out and looking at properties and analyzing future deals and, uh, and of course, uh, talking to prospective joint ventures and uh, seeing if uh, we can help them get financially free. Oh, nice. So that's typically the day in the life when uh, we're not wrangling kids. Yeah, you make it sound uh, seamless, but I'm sure it's probably pretty crazy every day. <laughs> yeah, we, we know exactly what you're going through because we also do that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, uh, so with, with little people running around, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So you guys are one up on us as we were just talking earlier, but uh, oh, we got number three on the way. So it's, uh, we'll be outnumbered shortly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, Congratulations. Um, yeah, definitely an exciting time of life, right? Lots lots to be grateful for, lots going on. Yeah. So the, the six projects that you mentioned, uh, maybe walk us through kind of what, uh, what those projects look like. Yeah. So, I mean, we just finished one on Cannon Street. That was an eight-unit property. It was a structurally decrepit building. One, you could put like a marble at one end of it, like a, a, in one of the rooms. 
and it would like race to the other end. So we had to, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, we'll turn over the units one at a time. It was that the building was vacated because it was like not structurally safe to be there. So we had to, you know, pour massive footings and we complete the layouts of these units were garbage. So we put these big structural beams on either side of the middle of the building and put these long metal beams across. So we opened up these units and made them very functional two bedroom units from what was prior a one bedroom unit, but like about half of the square footage was taken up by hallways in each of these units. It was a very odd layout. So anyway, we just got those all rented out. So we're just in the final stages of wrapping up the little minutia there. Uh, we are starting another eight unit out in uh, St. Catharines. So we bought a, just a drug nest of a property out there. It's, um, it has been a very interesting process so far. I've never seen, you know, being a real estate investor, I'm not surprised that like people that I talk to that are experienced and they're in their like sixties are like just gray haired and just like their eyes are just worn. <laughs> it's properties like these that cause that kind of thing. I find this property has, um, it was a, it was at one point the previous owner had intended to keep it as a location where he could maybe help facilitate drug usage. That almost like a halfway house. It used to be a student rental before he bought it. And then he started bringing in a riffraff, not on purpose, but renting it out to just anybody without qualifying them as tenants. And eventually he changed his mindset to be like, okay, well maybe I can help these people or whatever. So effectively all the students got vacated because they didn't want to be there. And this place was just full of like the wrong type of tenant you would ever want. And this property became stigmatized in terms of like, I tell people the address of the property and people are like, Oh yeah, I know that. I know that place. The police all know about it. Like where they, they're like, me and my partner were there. Like, yeah, you guys are the talk of the, uh, of like the police force right now. Like everyone's like, Hey, do you see the new owners are, are doing something with such and such place? So anyway, it's been a, a trial of, of will with this property we've had i'll give you a, a quick rundown we had two drug overdose deaths we had the superintendent or the guy who claimed he was a superintendent got thrown down a flight of stairs by guys that were trying to shake him down uh, he was in a neck brace um, we had two crackheads break in that didn't even live there and they lit the bathroom on fire we had two other ones months later break into the garage and they burnt the entire garage down. We had a detached garage in the back. It's now just a pile of rubble. Um, oh my. <laughs> we've, we've had, we had a girl that was stabbed in the back three times for drugs and had to get airlifted to McMaster Hospital. So and, this you know, is out of eight units. This is, this is, it is going to be an eight unit, eight one bedroom unit. So it was a 20 unit rooming house. And so you can imagine there was a kitchen on each floor. It's three floors. It's a nice long building. And so each floor had uh, a kitchen and two bathrooms. And so people just commonly use the bathrooms, commonly use the kitchens. And it was just this big open area. But by the time we took it over, there wasn't an ounce of copper in the place. The previous owner had just let it go to waste. And that's why, like, I think that it's noble to have such intentions you know, at the beginning and he even had set up him and his wife had set up like a Facebook page to talk about, you know, what their intentions were with this building. And they were really excited to like make a difference. And I, I totally commend that. 
But as you see the posts on this Facebook wall and you just see that they're just being beaten and beaten and beaten. They're like, yeah, we had another break in today. And so this is missing or, you know, somebody stole this copper pipe and this completely flooded this floor, you know, like th- things like that. They were like document. And eventually they're like, forget it. We're out. And they folded their hands. And so we've come there and half the people in there are not, le- well, 80% of the people in there were not legitimate. There were two guys in there that were legitimate and they were like super eager to get out because they had didn't know what the hell they were getting into when they rented the place. So anyway, here we are. We've gotten the place turned over. We have to work with local law enforcement um, to like actually like get the place vacated. And now we're in the position where it's like, okay, construction can start, but we're still experiencing like attempted break-ins probably twice a week. We have security cameras now installed and every time someone comes close, it like dings my partner and he sends me videos of like just people like reefing on the plywood on the windows and stuff. And so we're hoping that with time and with um, obviously these changes and we're going to clean the place up, it'll destigmatize the property. And of course, there's a lot of other really positive developments taking place right next door to us, right kind of across the street diagonally to us as well. They're building like apartment buildings and condos there. So there's a lot of exciting things happening on this corner, but we just have to kind of trudge through the swamp right now to get there. And so there's going to be a couple of heavy hitters. Like for instance, there we have to upgrade our water line from a, uh, a one inch water line to a two inch, which we have to go all across the main streets. They're making us do underground cabling to upgrade to 400 amp service there. So there's going to be a lot of, it's very interesting to kind of be dealing with this and with the city and, and kind of changing over the entire feeling of this corner, because for the longest time, this corner has just attracted a, a certain type. Right. So. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm, I want to know, did you know all of this going into it? Uh, like, you know, we knew it was going to be problematic. It's never easy when you're dealing with uh, people that are just willing to like, they don't care. Right. Um, about anything. It's so it, it's, you kind of understand that you're going to be running into people that'll pull a knife out on you because they want like a piece of wire that they can trade them for scrap. And that's just that profile. Right. Luckily we never had to deal with that personally, but like, we always now make sure like our demo crews, nobody's allowed there by themselves. We always have to be in pairs, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So it, it was a bit of a, a phase shift mentally to kind of have to endure that because I think a lot of investors, especially within our networks, and I know we know a lot of the same people. I, I think that when we look at what we do, even though it's for profit, of course, we're not like a, a non-for-profit. We are doing things to make things better. We're buying buildings to renovate them so that we can put them into the recirculation of housing so that, you know, this single family dilapidated house may now provide really great housing for three families or two families or whatever the case may be. Here in this example, we have a a building that's taking up a massive footprint on a very popular corner in St. Catharines. And uh, it's completely decrepit or it's just a drug haven of like people dealing drugs and, and illegal activity. Whereas, you know, we're in a massive shortage of housing. And I think that adding eight fully functioning single bedrooms is going to provide some nice housing for people who really need it. Right. Yeah. That of course has its own opinions with different people as well, but that's, that's mine anyway. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, uh, you know, kudos to you for taking on a, a, a big challenge like this. It's, uh, you know, I tell you, most investors, active investors, even, you know, wouldn't want to get into something like this. So it's a, it's a big challenge. I'm sure there's a big reward uh, at the end. But, you know, it, just the fact that you're going through it, some people wouldn't be able to sleep at night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot of the projects we take on um, are in really bad shape. So even it's funny because, you know, there's kind of certain levels of properties like, you know, the ABCDs and even some investors that are experienced, they'll stay away from the C's and D's because it's just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of headache, but we're not afraid of, you know, fire damaged roofs caving in, foundations blowing out, you know, whatever the case may be, we've got, we've, we're comfortable doing it all. We've done full underpinning on basements where, you know, we turned a four foot basement to like an eight foot basement before kind of thing. Right. So, and there's a lot of value to be added as long as you can buy it. Right. And as long as the deal still makes sense. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So Alex, tell us a little bit about that. Um, where, where are you finding these guys? Like where are you finding these properties and even generally, how do you, how do you come across these types of deals? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we do have a, a referral network, of like wholesalers that we often, uh, you know, deal with as well. But I'd say the majority of our stuff actually comes from like driving for dollars. It's a very common way that I, I like to, and I, you know, you have to be diligent kind of keeping a database and we've done like the flyers and stuff in the past, but I feel like those are starting to become redundant a little bit because people get like 10 of them uh, every, every single day in the mail. So they just huck them away. But, um, uh, like if we drive by a property and, you know, you see that the shingles have curled up and the lawn's been unkept or there's garbage lying around, you know, it's, it's never a bad idea to just write the address down and send them a letter directly, right? And say, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. I'm wondering if you ever thought about selling. We, uh, we picked up a property also in St. Catharines. It's just a single-story bungalow with high ceilings in the basement. Perfect layout for like a potential duplex. So we bought it. And the seller, like we like the properties in the area were going for like in that condition, probably 600,000. And we managed to score this one for 350,000 because the entire foundation wall had like, it was like, if you imagine the plane of the, of the wall, the crack that was going horizontally along the wall had shifted the foundation about four inches off of that plane. And so um, he was super, uh, like, he made me sign all these, like, waivers tell, saying that, like, he has disclosed this fact. I signed, like, three pieces of paper saying that, like, I know full well that the foundation is crap. So anyway, we, uh, we just actually finished pouring that new foundation and getting it all together. But we had to put this house on stilts. It was like, well, not stilts. They're obviously, like, structural, like, uh, jack posts. But it was really cool how we kind of set it all up. And then the entire house is just sitting there with it all dug around. And I mean, for the average person who's like not comfortable, like where do you even start? How do you know your budget? Like where do you, where do you go from there? But, you know, if, if you're willing to try new things and make mistakes once in a while and learn from them as long as they don't make you go broke, you know, you can take on a project that basement foundation work costs us 50 grand. So now we've got this house in now the same condition as these other ones going for six. And we're only in it for four, right? So we're still $200,000 better off than, than the other properties. So we look for creative edges that we can do 
um, that we can kind of squeeze in places, but it is getting tougher and tougher. I think uh, nowadays, like sellers' confidence is high because people can put their, they don't even have to list it. You put a Home Depot sign in front of your yard and you'll get multiple offers. Um, So it is a challenge for sure to find people who are truly motivated sellers and who are willing to accept the fact that, you know, the, the property needs work and then we can put that into our cost of acquisition. Maybe let's put on your realtor hat uh, and talk about the market a little bit as you know, we we kind of get conflicting answers as the market has significantly cooled off um, now with the multiple rate increases and government intervention. Uh, what's your boots on the ground kind of observation? To be honest, I like the market has cooled. I know that February, I think, was in Ontario's history, the hottest month of real estate ever, ever, ever. So I think, don't necessarily quote me on that, but I had heard it. And I'm not surprised. In February, it was crazy how properties were going. Like I saw some of these multiple offer scenarios. Uh, yeah. And I it was, was like, bananas. holy moly, like what properties are uh, going yeah. for? That was, I would say mid-February is kind of like the peak. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, 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 even up till early March, things were things were really good, and then yeah, all of a sudden, oh uh, yeah, and it halted. And the the way I kind of see this, and I've last time I really felt the market felt this way was I think it was twenty seventeen or twenty seventeen twenty eighteen year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the when the foreign buyers tax got implemented, and you, you know what I the analogy I use? Imagine like in a like two guys in a boxing match. And a boxer lands a punch squaring to the other guy's nose. The other guy's not out of the fight, but he kind of reels back a little bit. That's what I think is happening right now with the market. And that punch in the face kind of equates to the um, the rising interest rates and the, the overall skepticism. And so from a future outlook on the market, I'm still you know very optimistic and, and bullish on real estate in Ontario. I think though that it's ever so important to be very sure of and, and run your buffers because if interest rates do start to go out of whack, you want to make sure that you, you at least have yourself covered in some capacity. But fundamentally, like what, despite interest rates and despite these rising prices, the one thing that they have not solved yet is supply. And as long as we have this massive deficit in housing, it's not the supply and demand is not going to just go away. Yeah. And especially, you know, uh, not just it's, it's rental supply, right? Cause we're, we're technically in the rental business, not, we're not buying and selling properties. We're landlords, right? So rental demand, I mean, for, I, I just don't see that slowing down. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the other thing too, I find is that, you know, my background, I'm Hungarian. And so I've gone to Budapest on a number of occasions. I have friends that live there currently that have, you know, gotten jobs out there. And when I go visit, the idea of buying a flat in downtown Budapest or some sort of a house in Budapest is just an, a weird concept. The people just don't even talk about it. It's like, no, I, I rent. Of course I rent. I just rent here. And you look at, you know, London, England. You look at, like, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, like a lot of... The, like yeah, know, even New York City for that New matter, York yeah. City, yeah. So I think that what is happening now is there's going to be a bit of a mental shift, and I think the government's doing what they can to try and support this mentality, which 
I don't agree with necessarily, but there it, it's becoming an okay thing to just rent forever. And I think that slowly people are going to just accept that fact like they have in these other cities where, you, you know, the, the uh, you know, quote unquote American dream has been, you know, you go to school, you get an education, you get a good, you know, government paying job or whatever. And, and, you know, you buy a house and you have a family and that's kind of the trajectory that everybody has in their mind. And it's kind of, there's a big wrench thrown in there of property values being, you know, astronomical. Like who like starting salary, like as a 60 to $80,000 salary, who can afford a, a $1 million house in Toronto? How? On what? You know, but then there's also this concept of the large uh, transfers of wealth that are going to be taking place with the baby boomers. You know, like within the next 20 years, that baby boomer generation is going to be, you know, passing away, unfortunately. And uh, they say that the it's one of the largest transfers of wealth that will be taking place that, that the world's ever seen. And what that's going to do, in my opinion, is going to put more of a divide between people who are have, have financial literacy and who don't. Yeah, no, it's funny you say this because just yesterday night, before we were going to bed, we had a conversation and I said to Jose, so what do you think is going to happen in 30 years? You think that the market's going to double? I, like, it was just like, a, I just asked, I just a thought came to my mind and he was like, of course it will. I was like, so you're telling me that, you know, a $2 million house in like Mississauga or Oakville or something is going to be like $4 million? And he was like, Yeah. I was like, how? Like, and, and then I, I started telling him like mortgage calculations, right? I was like, on an average $700,000 mortgage, you know, the average payments are like three grand. So like now you've got, you know, double the mortgage. So like someone's going to be able to afford six grand in mortgage payments. Like, how is that going to work? And he goes, no, there's going to be a transfer of wealth of some sort. And they're going to be able to put down either they're moving, upgrading from a smaller house to a bigger house, or they're getting that money from an inheritance or there's going to be a transfer of wealth, which is going to facilitate this change, which is what his opinion was. Again, these are just our opinions. <laughs> um, but, but it's funny, you know, there you, there you go. You guys are having these same conversations and they're like, and we haven't ch chatted about this since until now. We're, we're having the same conversations on our side. And I think that the intelligent investor needs to prepare for this to, to really just understand, you know, what, what they're in for or what to expect. It's such. It's an interesting question you bring up. Like, can that two million dollar property in Mississauga actually be four million dollars? Like right now, apartment buildings, like our apartment build eight unit apartment building, appraised at two point five million. So, you know, in in thirty years, what is it going to be? Who knows? What I do think is going to happen, and we're seeing it. Um, I know the government's trying to intervene a lot by stopping you know, putting some pressure, like corporate pressure from buying up properties. But I think that in a free economy, it's very challenging to do that. And and thankfully, we still have that in some respects. But uh, I think that, you know, you're going to start to see corporations coming up and gobbling up houses. Like there was a news article out of, probably a year ago at this point where this lady from the States was coming into downtown Toronto and putting like buying like $3 billion worth of real estate. And that was her mantra like you're telling me companies like and i know zillow for example tried it and they kind of crashed and burned or whatever but there's going to be companies that come out with better models and better systems at doing this where they can kind of create monopolies and 
and buy up housing and then rent them out because that's kind of going to be the next next wave. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, um, your joint venture structure and how, you know, how you're able to help other investors that obviously don't want to deal with all of the, these types of ten, the tenants and problems that you're dealing with, how, you know, why it's, uh, your, how your model works. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And effectively hit the nail on the head is that's our value proposition is that we deal with all the crap so that the other people don't have to. And a lot of our joint venture partners are, they have demanding jobs or demanding families or whatever it may be, or, you know, so you know, it's beneficial to work with somebody because at the end of the day, you still get to be part of the partnership. So our, our GV model and, and structure is it's 50-50. The, the money partner brings the cash for the down payments. They qualify for the mortgage and they fund the construction 100%. We find the properties. We facilitate the entire plan. We execute the plan. And then, you know, we also deal with like, helping out with finding tenants and stuff like that. We have a property management company that of course takes care of that. And that's just kind of a separate thing, but our model works well in the sense that we don't technically profit on our properties from like a refinance standpoint until the partner gets all their money back out of the deal. And I think that it's a very good way to do it. I think it's a very honest approach to real estate investing where like, you know, sometimes, especially now with inflated property values, it's just a reality that people are going to have to keep maybe seventy, eighty thousand dollars in the deal, right? And that doesn't—that's not a bad thing. It is still real estate investing at the end of the day, where you have your money in the deals. However, rather than you know massive surpluses after on a refinance that we've seen for the past two years, right now we might have to park some cash there. But uh, but yeah, the the model's still good in the sense that you know if on a subsequent refinance, let's say that person has $70,000 in the deal. And two years later, we go to refinance it and we're able to pull out a hundred. They'll get their $70,000 back first. And then the difference in the 30,000 will get split both ways. So that's, that's typically our model. And uh, it's worked well. We have really good relationships with our partners. It's actually a one part of the business that I love. And, and uh, I know joint ventures, it's funny because, you know, the big question is like, well, I'm bringing in all the money. Is it, why is it worth it to do this? Trust me, the joint venture is the most expensive part of the deal. <laughs> I'm sure you guys can agree. Uh, if we didn't, uh, you know, joint venturing is an expense, but it does make our life easier too because it allows us to not have to qualify for the mortgages, right? So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that once investors can wrap their heads around the concept, they understand how wonderful it is. You know, you'd rather have half of a pie than have no pie. And, you know, the value that people like you, especially who are doing value add, bring to the table is, is there, there's no dollar for it. And people who don't manage properties and don't deal with tenants uh, cannot begin to understand how much of a skill that is and how much of a, I shouldn't say headache, but how challenging it can be. So I was, uh, it's so funny you mentioned it. I was talking to a guy that had initially approached us three years ago and getting into deals. And I look at prices back then. I'm like, oh my Lord. And so it came up and he's like, he was very regretful for not doing it because of just the appreciation we've had. Still has not bought anything. 
still has not pulled the trigger on anything because life happens, right? You blink and a year goes by. You blink and a second year goes by. And people like, you know, you watch all these YouTube videos and you can get excited about it. But the biggest problem people have is taking action and actually implementing that process. And, you know, even if we would have split 50-50, we were looking at it and he probably lost out on a quarter million dollars as well as future cash flow on properties we would have held together. Right. That's right. No, and that, that that's, you know, partnering with somebody rather than trying to figure it out on your own is 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 the best way to get your foot on the door and and, and grow from there. Whether eventually you become an active investor or you continue to be a passive investor because some people don't want to do the the nitty gritty you know they don't want to get their hands dirty they don't want to deal with drug dealing tenants <laughs> and um all these the, the large foundation rent, issues or, yeah large yeah. uh construction uh, it's it's not meant for everybody you came from the construction background so you have that advantage and you know it's uh worked out really well in your business yeah you know you you just said the the key phrase that like getting your foot in the door and as a shameless plug uh, on our website, we have, I wrote a book and the book's called getting your foot in the door. Oh, and, no way. <laughs> and it's purely based on answering these questions for why should I partner or is it right for me to partner or should I partner or whatever. Right. So it kind of does a very Coles notes version of all the different strategies in real estate. And it kind of asks the question and gets people thinking about like, should, can I do this on my own? And and if you can, great. Like that's, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of just investing in real estate and creating a financial future for your family. It doesn't have to be partnering with us. I think though, everybody has a responsibility to become financially literate and become more than what they are currently. Right. And I think that that's, you know, unfortunately they don't teach that in school. It's something you got to learn on your own. But the people that truly commit to that are the people that at the end of the day are really going to benefit. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, um, maybe you can just tell us a little little bit about your company and your, you know, uh, your entire organization, like how many, what kind of team members you have for our audience who know, like it's, it's a, requires a lot of different people in order for you to execute these types of projects. For sure. So Pal Property Solutions, we have a number of different entities. We have Pal Property Solutions, which deals with joint venture partnerships and property acquisitions. So it's basically a, a hold co. And although we advertise and market based off of the hold co, we don't typically do like operations out of Pal Property Solutions. We also have another company that deals with purchasing off market opportunities for like flips. So that's a separate entity that we, like if we buy a dilapidated property, I'll keep that corporation on title so that, you know, we can sell it and, and buy through there. Um, there's different tax benefits for doing so. We have a um, property management company, Solutions Property Management. And so that actually gets contracted out by Pal Property Solutions to help manage these properties. We also have another company called Pal Construction Group which is actually going to become amalgamated with Solutions Property Management. Just from a bookkeeping tax standpoint, the, the functionality of the businesses do the exact same. So it's like one less set of books, one less set of like year-end tax returns and stuff. So we're just opening a branch through that. And that branch actually facilitates all the contracting. So you know, we hire our subcontractors and things like that through there. 
Um, of course, we have Pal Realty Group where we list and buy homes for friends and family and for clients. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of kind of spinning parts. And our our ideal scenario or our, our plan is to create a one-stop shop for people. Um, so we're really passionate about real estate. We love real estate. We love what we do every day. But we want people who are investors who want to learn, who want to grow, who want to you know become part of you know a legacy for their future families to be able to come to one place that gives them all the resources that they need, and um, and that's kind of it's a benefit. Like we used to subcontract out property management, for example. We found that it was you know, we reflected on it at the time with all the partners that we had, and it was kind of unanimous in the sense that like we can save a lot of money by just doing it in house. And now we realize we can save a lot of money for clients too, because property managers are expensive. So there's ways to just do things that are more efficient. We have online platforms to do things. We don't have to have a massive staff. We do have staff of course, but you know, property managers can, can with proper systems can manage a lot of properties. Right. Yeah, I know that's uh, so many, so many different things going on, and uh, you're you're definitely a busy guy. Um, tell us, sort of, how you keep everything together. What what drives you every day? How do you keep yourself motivated to to sort of? I mean, you you know, again, we make it sound easy, but I'm sure alcohol, it, it, alcohol got... <laughs> pulls up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, it's a good question. It's um, you know, you got to kind of live in day type compartments is you can only do what you can do. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really lucky, just like you guys, you guys are, are like a, a power couple and you guys can lean and leverage on each other. And I think you guys, you know, as a good partners, Kaylee and I have that too. Is a, I, I'm very blessed to, to have her, you know, with us. So she actually fronts more of the property management side of things. And, uh, and of course, you know, like you guys have a young family too, just like us. It's, it's demanding and a lot of our conversations at home do fall into work. And so it becomes challenging to divide, right? Some, you know, you go on a nice date night and what do you talk about is that deal that we're doing down the street and like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, you know, relate. it's so funny. Cause we, I don't know, you know, Mandy yeah, Branham, she's wonderful. So we had her on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago and we had this exact same conversation because her and Larry worked together and she gave us some good advice, which was that, uh, you should be able to talk about things that you're passionate about, which is real estate. Cause we all love real estate. So when we were with our partners, we should be able to share that. But she said that the secret for them was to not talk about things related to real estate that brought on anxiety or stress. So she said like, Hey, like if we're working on a new project down the street, and we just acquired this new piece of land and we're so excited. Like, yes, we should definitely share that passion with each other over you know, a dinner. However, like if there's this one tenant who's not paying rent and you're going to tribunal tomorrow, like that is not a conversation (laughs) to have over dinner. So she's just like, that is brilliant advice. Yeah. I thought it was really great too. I was like, Hey, like that is completely like hits the nail on the head. It's not about like, it's not black and white. It's never going to be, it's going to be completely fluid, right? Because you guys are partners in life and in work and you are both highly passionate about the work you do. So of course it's going to spill into your dinners, right? You can't say like never talk about this because you're both probably not going to be happy people because there are things you want to share, 
but it shouldn't bring on any negative feelings during those times, which I thought was, yeah. And we've had our our fill of like, you know, contractors that haven't worked out and we've had to fire people, right? Or like tenants that don't pay or, you know, other, you know, you get an A plus tenant in and the, the C tenant that is reluctant to move on is causing them grief. So it's causing everyone else. You know, there's some anxiety that comes with this business because, especially right now, you know, you can often feel helpless. And even though things are in motion, you, you, you don't always have control and, you know, there's rules we have to follow. But I think that the best way to make it work is to treat everything like a business. And, uh, and then, you know, that kind of alleviates, like we can only do what we can do to make this better and at home. But I love that, that I'm going to tell, tell Kelly that actually today. Because, uh, <laughs> I think that's yeah, no, I, I, you know, especially the, the, the worst part about this business is the, you know, unexpected things that happen because you never know, okay, today you're going to wake up and you're going to deal with a fire in a property or, uh, you know, a flooding or something like that. And, you know, it, it changes the trajectory of your day, of your week. Like it's, you're constantly flying by the seat of your pants, even though you, your intention is not to have things you know, you're, 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 you've intended for the week to look a certain way. So. Yeah. We, uh, the worst, like there's so many stories. One of the worst last year, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. One of these days was, uh, we did just finish two basement suites and they're like beautifully done. And we got this massive rainstorm and we had interior waterproof to both of the basements and the water still found its way in. So you can just imagine it was like, First of all, you don't know where the water's coming in because the place is being waterproofed. Second, like it's all finished, you know, and oh, always something. But, you know, it's impossible for that to not spill back home and you're just kind of like wrought with grief and you're not sure what the heck to do. But roll with the punches. Yeah, that's right, for sure. That's right. Yeah, you got to have a thick skin in this business. Uh, that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, luckily we are rewarded well for it yeah absolutely <laughs> you know we uh, we always ask our guests you know what is a quote or a saying that you kind of live by that helps you in your business and fa- you know in your life that's an easy one my favorite all time is your best resource is being resourceful and i think it's very important because uh yeah people being resourceful is a rarity it's funny but like problem solving yeah figure it out that's all we can do no your best all the answers are out there it's just a matter of being resourceful yeah whether it's going to be a little bit more time a little bit more money you know you're eventually you're going to figure it out right for sure there's a solution to everything if you're resourceful yeah if you're resourceful Awesome. Well, thanks, Alex. It was uh, such a pleasure talking to you. If uh, We'll put in our show notes as well, but if people are interested in reaching out, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, no, that's, and guys, thank you so much for having me on here. It's a pleasure chatting with you guys and, uh, and sharing some stories. It's wonderful. But the best way to connect for us is um, you can check out our website, www.palpropertysolutions.com. And we have, you know, you can email us directly through there. That comes to me. Also, I have Instagram, which is palproperty underscore solutions, I believe. And, um, of course, Facebook, Alex Powell and Kaylee Powell. You can find us on there. And, uh, yeah, 
And if, and if anyone is interested, that book that I was mentioning, it's a free download. So anybody can just go and download it at any time. It doesn't cost anything. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely uh, check out the website, guys. Um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and Pal is the shortest name I've ever came, came across. Is yeah, P-A-L. super easy, P-A-L. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know Alex is up to some awesome stuff, so definitely worth uh, following. Yeah, thanks, uh, Alex. It was, that was quite uh, insightful. Uh, we, we also learned a lot from uh, talking to you. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.